Good morning. My name is Dave, as I like to say when I come up here. I'm a person who goes to this church, and it's, uh, I'm thankful to be able to share with you uh, this morning from God's Word. We've been all summer long in this series on the uh, Sermon of the Mount, the greatest sermon ever given by the greatest teacher that ever walked the earth. And um, I hope that you've been taking advantage of... Um, the charge that Dave Allen gave us at the beginning of the series to regularly dip in and read these verses in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 uh, throughout this series because I, I've noticed um, as I've been reading them, as I've been listening to the sermon, I've been preparing for this sermon, uh, these words that Jesus spoke strike so deep into the core of how we live and really get to the heart of the matter on so many issues. Um, and particularly, uh, now as we're getting close to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, only a few more uh, weeks to go, um, Jesus is really starting to give his charge of, you know, now that I've taught you this, do it. You know? And he, uh, and particularly in the passage that we're going to be looking at today, he's bringing it to the, you know, really to the point with a conversation about the life and death results from that come from what we do. So before we uh, jump in, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this uh, gathering of a family, a community of friends, uh, that we can be here together in your name. Thank you so much for your love, Lord, and for the goodness that you demonstrated and for the truth that you taught us. I pray, Lord, that you would open our minds to the scriptures to what you have to share with us this morning. Uh, please help anything that would be a distraction, uh, worries or anxieties, other things in our life, just to be set aside for a little bit and to be able to open our hearts to hear your voice, um, to hear you speak directly to us this morning. And I pray and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. In the scriptures, when they talk about life and death, uh, there's two different ways that, that that is used. Maybe there's more than two, but there's definitely at least two, uh, that the idea of life and death is used. So the first is, let's see, this button. All right. The first is life and death as it passes through time. So if you think about, if you look at this picture I've drawn, where it's labeled life, that's the time of your life when your heart is beating, when your body is warm, when your brain is thinking, and you're having all the adventures that you've had, and you've done doing all the good that you've done, and all the making all the mistakes that you've made, and then you hit that line there that I have, and that's the transition. No longer is our heart beating, no longer are we doing all those things, but we've moved on to what's beyond this life. And what we learn from the scriptures is another form of life that goes on into eternity. So that's one way, life and death as two phases of time, right? Another way the scripture talks about life and death is two ways of living, or two ways of being, or states of existence, with life being, I'm in a state right now where I am at peace with God, I am connected to God, and I'm living a life that's according to God's will in my life. And death 
being the opposite, that I'm experiencing separation from God, I have turned away from God, I'm going on an evil path, and I'm immersed in sin, right? So that would be death and life as a state of how am I at this point in time. So we can marry those together, right? And this is a very kind of nerdy way of looking at it, but I hope that this will help you. You can imagine that while your body is alive, you can be dead in sin or alive in Christ. And also, when your body is dead you can, or has died already, you can be dead in sin or alive in Christ. So the scriptures, I'm just going to very briefly touch on a few scriptures that talk about these four states. Um, so it might be a little bit hard to read, but if you look at the idea of uh, the, if you look at the life and life together, we have alive in the body and alive in Jesus Christ. So a verse that talks about this is, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Right? So if we look at this idea that maybe I, that it's a time when I have died in the body, but I'm alive in Christ, and the scriptures in 1 Corinthians talk about, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Right? So even though we have died, we're alive in him. Praise Jesus. So now let's look at some of the less desirable options. Right? Let's imagine in the, your lower left corner, I am alive in the body, but unfortunately dead in sin. And it talks about these in uh, Philippians. Uh, it says, their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. So uh, let's turn away from that, right? And then, of course, the one that no one likes to think about, but that the scriptures clearly point to, which is that we are dead in the body and still dead in sin. Um, and the scriptures in Revelation say, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. So cheer everyone's favorite verse you have on your fridge, right? But the scriptures, right? So this is going to serve this idea of understanding that there are these four states that people can be in is going to serve as a, a backdrop for what we're talking about with today from Jesus' lesson uh, from the Sermon on the Mount. Um, the passage we're looking at is from Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14, a short one. And Jesus charges the, his listeners, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. The words of Jesus. Throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has been teaching about two different and competing ways of life, and a way of life in particular that he follows his teaching that he's been calling us to. And that way of life is different from what we may have heard before. So there's a repeated pattern 
in Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, where he says, you know, you have heard it said, but I tell you. Right? You know, so he's contrasting these two different teachings, these two different ways of life. So just to quickly review, he says, you have heard it said um, that you shall not murder, but I tell you, if anyone is angry at their brother and their sister, they have committed murder in their heart. He says, you have heard it said, you should not commit adultery. But I tell you, if anyone looks lustfully, they have already committed adultery in their heart. He says, uh, you have heard it said that Moses said you just need a certificate of divorce and you can walk away from your marriage. But I tell you that divorce creates victims and you need to be uh, honor your, command, your commitments except for in the case of infidelity. Uh, he says, you have heard it said that you can make these rules, these oaths on the temple or on the, you know, all different things, complicated. It's almost like these different uh, patterns of oaths. And Jesus, but Jesus says, but I tell you, just say yes or no and do what you said, right? Um, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But Jesus says, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. You have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But Jesus says, love, but I tell you, love your enemy and bless those who persecute you. So he's clearly setting apart these two ways and creating this new way of life, which is, uh, which is what he teaches. He also teaches new approaches to giving to the needy, to fasting and to prayer. He says to store up treasure in heaven instead of earth not to worry, to judge ourselves first um, and more harshly than we would judge others so that we can help others instead of condemning them. And of course, in the Beatitudes, uh, he gives a different vision for what blessedness is and what type of heart and approach to life God is looking for. So I think it's just worth getting it out there that this way of life that Jesus is calling us to and this new teaching he's giving is contrary and runs in opposition to what is generally happening in the world or even what our own natural sinful natures would want us to do. Um, and we're going to be going against traffic if we're going to be living and operating this way. Um, it's particularly opposite to what evil people and powers are doing. Jesus is acknowledging the difficulty and opposition to the way of life that he taught when he describes his road as a narrow road and, his, and the entrance into that life as a narrow gate. Um, but, the point of the, but the main point of the teaching, and if there's only one thing you take away from these verses and this whole idea, it's this. Don't look at the difficulty of the road. Look at where does it lead and let that be your guide for choosing how to live. You know, that's, that's the main point. I mean, I would appreciate if you'd listen to the rest, but if you are going to drift off to sleep, remember that, right? Don't put your attention to how difficult is the road, but to where does it lead and what's the outcome that comes from it. So I know you were hoping to do this. Let's return to our diagram. All right. Uh, sadly, our human nature the world system, other people, our relationships, sin, 
and the general brokenness in the world is such that we inevitably find ourselves in that corner among the living dead. At some point in our life, every single one of us, that has been the accurate description for where we were in life. That our heart was beating, our bodies were warm, but we were dead in sin and in slavery to evil. Uh, but praise God, uh, as we sing this morning, there's power that can empty out a grave, right? That's us in the grave. And that power of Jesus has is what brings us out of it. Um, in the hymn that we sang, we actually, uh, we, uh, we, we actually skipped this verse, but verse 3 of the hymn, And Can It Be, says, Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. That's that life in that corner of being the living dead. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. Jesus shined a life-giving light on us. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Beautiful poetry uh, describing this transition that we have of Jesus bringing us from we're alive, but we're really dead, to we're alive and we're alive in him. And that's, I mean, so much of Jesus' teaching, not just in the Sermon on the Mount, but in his parables, in all of his teaching, so much of it is about that. It's, yes, it's important and critical that Jesus has promised us eternity in heaven with him, but so much of his teaching is about heaven with him now here on the living, in the living side of, of life, right? And being, walking with him and following the path that he taught now. And from that point where Jesus calls us and opens up the gate, the narrow gate that goes from death into life, there's the call to follow Jesus into the living life. Um, but he described this way as a narrow gate. And he described the experience of this new life as a narrow road. So what does it mean that it's narrow? Narrow gate, narrow road. Well, simply put, it means that there's only one way in to this life. And uh, that way is repentance through faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, and once in this life, it is very easy to step away from following Jesus and back into following our sinful nature, the ways of the world or temptation of the enemy. That's what it means, that it's a narrow gate, one way in, through Jesus, repentance and faith in him, and a narrow road, very easy to step off of and go a different way. Um, but let's talk further about that. First, let's look at this idea of repentance through faith in Jesus Christ and what that is. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Uh, if you really knew me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Um, I've been bad at advancing the slide this morning. Uh, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Jesus is the way, and the truth, and the life. And following him is walking his way, discerning his truth, 
and living the life that he taught and demonstrated. It is one thing to repent of our sins because we have a sense of guilt or a fear of punishment. It's a completely different thing to hear and respond directly to an instruction from Jesus and to respond because we're, we see him and we're responding to him. So what I want to suggest is an exercise that I would, I would ask that each of you consider doing on your own time at home uh, when you can find time to do this. And um, it might seem, if it's, if it's something you're not comfortable with, it might seem a little different, but I would encourage you to give it a try. Um, find a quiet time and a place uh, where you're all by yourself and simply ask Jesus to help you know what the things are in your life for which you need to repent. Right? Now, I think a lot of people struggle with the idea of in prayer, listening for the voice of God, listening for Jesus in prayer, and not really knowing what that is supposed to mean. But I think that one of the best ways to enter into that idea is to start with asking Jesus to form our mind to help us know what is it that I need to repent about. Uh, in my own life, when I have done this, the Holy Spirit has faithfully led me to know the things I need to repent for, which there's always something, um, and has also brought to my mind deeper root causes behind my sinful habits. And so I, I encourage you, please try this. Um, a lot of us in our devotional time, in our quiet time, or even just our time that we have to rest, may be sort of really focused on just diving into the scriptures and trying to read and digest those, and that's wonderful. But, uh, but I think we also want to hear directly from Jesus. And uh, this is a good way to start with that, just asking to be guided on what is it that I need to repent for. And, that, and if Jesus answers that prayer and leads us to those things, then we're going to find ourselves in the place where this narrow gate starts to squeeze. Because Jesus' call to repentance is not primarily about telling God that we are sorry, but it's about changing our ways. Here is something hard to admit, but often true. Many of us right now are making plans and preparations to sin against God and other people in the future. Uh, we, we, like to, we like to imagine sin as something that we're just walking along and suddenly it surprises us. Oh no, I fell in a hole, I sinned right? But the reality is most of the sins that we struggle with, if we're honest, we're planning on doing that. <laughs> that's, in our, that's in our plans for the future. Um, and I have seen this wickedness in my own heart, and I'm afraid that some of you guys may currently right now have evil plans. Some of us might be planning on cheating on our taxes this year. Some of us may be planning on spreading gossip in the near future. We might be planning on unfaithfulness in our marriage, either in mind or in deed. We might be planning on watching the news or reading Facebook so that we can feel angry at what people are doing and we can judge them. We might be planning on holding on to grudges and bitterness. We might be planning on treating our children or spouses with cruelty or neglect. These aren't sins that just pop up in a moment. These and other things like them are evil plans that we cultivate and carry out. 
it is very likely that we don't just need to repent of things that we did in the past, but we need to repent of things that we are planning to do. And of course, change our plans. Those plans are roads to destruction. And repenting means changing the plans and instead making noble plans that go against our evil natures and follow Jesus into faithfulness. Repentance also means changing our mind about how we think about things. Many of us have sin habits and issues that we fall into again and again, and we may repent and tell God that we're sorry again and again, but not take the time to evaluate, are we believing things that aren't true, listening to voices which are harmful, or not thinking about things the way Jesus would think about them. You could imagine someone who again and again struggles with outbursts of anger. They may say that they are sorry over and over again, but they might not take the time to think about the wrong ideas that they have in their heart or mind that lead to this result. They may have false notions of their own importance relative to other people, or they could be making idols out of certain desires, behaviors, or expectations. And when they don't get what they want, they explode. That person would need to repent over their angry outbursts, but more importantly, search out before God the deeper and darker caves in their heart in order to move forward into the life that Jesus is calling them to. Um, Another thing that's likely to happen if we call on Jesus to show us what we need to repent over is that we are going to have something brought to mind or think of something that we need to repent over that we are not currently able or willing to change. Um, That may be that we may have um, anger or, uh, uh, or some sort of resentment towards someone who we are not willing to forgive. Uh, we may have enemies that we're not willing to love. Um, we might have resentment or bitterness that we're holding on to. There are different responses that we can take if we encounter this call to repentance and we just can't get there right now. You know, like, I, I, you know, Ideally, we would hear the call and we would just respond. Yes, Lord. And we would be able to change. But the reality is our hearts are mixed up, deceitful, rebellious within us. And we're not always able to repent like we're being called to. So there's bad responses to this situation. We can distract ourselves and just go on with our lives. We can come up with justifications or excuses why repentance is not necessary. Or we can just be hypocrites. We can just put a nice mask on, smile at everybody, and you know, no one sees what, what's behind the mask. Uh, these are not the way, and Jesus is calling us out of those dark paths and into the light. The good responses to that situation, if you find yourself, I'm just not able to repent about this right now. Struggling through it with Jesus again and again is a good response to that. Some things are very, very hard, and the best that we can do is to keep working on it. But we can do so honestly before Jesus, asking him to meet us and help us and guide us through hard decisions and difficult spiritual growth. Studying the scriptures to learn more about what Jesus taught and more about ourselves, or speaking honestly with a pastor, counselor, or a wise friend are also good responses to if Jesus calls something to our hearts, their minds, that we're not able to deal with right now. 
So what are the results of moving forward with repentance and seeking out a good repentance before God? Uh, The first result is the joy of living with a clean conscience before God. And this seems like a simple thing, but I, I hope that you, in your own life, can think about a time when you felt a clean conscience before God and can compare the feeling of that time to a time when you were not living with a clean conscience before God and recognize what a treasure it is to have a clean conscience before our our Lord. Um, Naturally, that feeling of having a clean conscience comes with the desire to help other people experience the same feeling. Uh, Another benefit or result of repentance is an ability to see things more clearly in the light of the grace and mercy that we have received. This makes us more likely to treat other people with grace and mercy, more able to do those things Jesus asks of us, like not worrying or not judging. More importantly, what can, we can start to see Jesus' way of life and his kingdom in their proper beauty. In contrast, we see the sinful world in its actual ugliness. This clear vision helps us to stay on the narrow road since we have a better understanding of how beautiful and desirable life in Jesus is and how destructive life away from him would be. And, like, and last, one other result of repentance is more repentance. As we see things more like Jesus sees them, we see more things in our lives that are running contrary to the way of Jesus, but we enter more readily into each new level of repentance if we can keep in mind that although repentance is a narrow road, it is a road that leads to life. And we know that then not only from the scriptures, but from our own experience of having gone through that and knowing the benefits and the joy that we received. So as we are living this life with Jesus, our sin and need for repentance is one of the things that makes the way narrow and the road difficult. But there are other aspects that create difficulty that make it a narrow way. These include opposition from evil people, temptation, hurt due to the sins of others, and pressure from the world trying to knock us off the path. We don't have time to talk about each one of those things, but what I'd like to do to kind of the next phase of this sermon is to look at a specific event from Jesus' life where he had to find the narrow path through a challenging situation, and then we want to look at how the master worked and try to take from that some lessons for how we can apply those same principles. So the verse we're going to look at is a familiar verse, one of the most beautiful stories in all the scriptures, from John chapter 8. And uh, let's read it out loud. At dawn, he appeared again, this is Jesus, in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him. And he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, 
Those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. A beautiful story shows the wisdom and love of Jesus. So let's unpack the ways in this story that Jesus himself finds the narrow road under a difficult situation and great pressure uh, from many sides. So first of all, Jesus recognizes that this situation was a trap, right? And he responded accordingly. This is very important in today's society because setting traps is a very common way that the enemies of the gospel try to knock Christians off of the Jesus path. Some examples of traps that the world sets. Being presented with difficult questions that don't have clear answers and falling for the trick that we should know the answer. Some questions are just hard and we just don't know the answer. And it's a trap to feel the pressure like we should know the answer. Or there's issues that have a lot of complexity and difficulty and falling for the trap that we should have to give a simple answer. These could be things about science and creation, about the Bible, about current events and troubling challenges like racism, social unrest, the COVID pandemic, politics. We've all seen it in either ourselves or our friends and family, people falling into the trap that these really complicated things have to be simple, right? Like, I have to be able to just answer it in one line, right? Instead of just being able to be at peace with what we know and what we don't know, right? Um, the culture war that we're all in, in our country, which has people fighting about everything, uh, that itself is a trap. The great lie of the culture war is that the, tra is the trap is that you're expected to pick a side and then just agree with that side about everything, right? The lie is that all questions are simple. I just have to follow what the loud voices on my side are saying. This is a trap because it is rooted in pride. Its purpose is to divide people, whereas the purpose of the gospel is to reconcile. It pretends to be a search for truth when it is really trying to end discussion and interpret all questions through the lens of the society-wide conflict. Jesus had the wisdom in the confrontation over the woman accused in adultery to say very little and not pick a side, to be patient and to be humble. We should follow his model to, on, for how to avoid these types of traps. Another, another um, way that tries to knock people off of the Jesus path that you see in this story is a group or a mob mentality. Uh, an evil effect can occur when a large group of people form a mob. Like in this story, people forming a group to come and accuse this woman. Um, in an extreme action like stoning someone, the mob as a group can do things that individual members of the group would not do themselves. In this case, it can be seen that Jesus casts out the demonic spirit of accusation that was calling for the woman to be stoned by transferring the conversation to the issue of each individual person's responsibility for God. 
Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw the stone. Jesus moves from the madness and inhumanity of the group into the humanity and heart level of the individual person, and by doing so, dispels the evil spirit. Also notice in the story that Jesus put into practice the teachings that are exactly from the Sermon on the Mount. Observe how he, uh, in this situation, when there is sin on all sides, he acts as the salt of the earth and a lamp in a dark situation. He says almost nothing, but it is clear that he stands apart from everyone else in the story, and that although the darkness surrounds him, he shines his light into it rather than the darkness making him dark. Uh, notice that he is merciful, pure in heart, a peacemaker. Notice that he does not approve of adultery, but instead instructs the woman to repent. Notice that he does not seek any glory for himself in this situation, and that he speaks simple wisdom, no flowery displays of logic, no anger, no judgment or condemnation. Also, Jesus followed his own teaching to do unto others as you would have them do unto you. The accused woman may have been guilty of sin, but she was not deserving of being treated the way that she was treated. Jesus surely could have seen echoes in the way the woman was treated and how he himself would eventually be treated at his own unjust trial. Notice that Jesus kept his priorities straight. We don't know what he was writing in the dirt. That's the question everyone always wants to know about this story. What was Jesus writing in the dirt? What I see is that to Jesus, drawing in the dirt was a more valuable use of his time than engaging in a debate with those people about what they were going to do. Um, he, Jesus probably had all kinds of good and wise things that he could have said, um, but it wasn't worth saying that to these people at this time. This is an application of not casting your pearls before swine, as it says in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus could have said all kinds of wisdom, uh, but there was no need to say it to those who did not have ears to hear, who were willing to cruelly humiliate a woman in, in a sham trial to, just to try to trap Jesus. Um, we should note Jesus' example and keep our minds and efforts applied to the work of the kingdom, not the fussing and fury done by those who are just putting on a show. Finally, Jesus sees and interprets the situation clearly and truthfully. Those who accused the woman thought that Jesus was a false teacher and that they were the ones who were right. They did not see that they themselves were actually the false teacher that they were accusing Jesus of being. Um, how often isn't it true that when we hear someone speaking words of condemnation, that once the truth comes out, it's them who is carrying the secret guilt? Those who brought the woman before Jesus and accused her were not following the law. If you go and you read the law of Moses and see how such situations were supposed to be handled, they were disobeying the law in how they were doing it. Um, they had twisted it for evil purposes. They did not have a correct view of who God is. God was standing right in front of them, and they did not recognize him. But God was standing in front of them, and in God's own humility, he neither condemned the woman nor condoned sin, but opened a narrow door to a more godly option, redemption. He made opportunity for every person involved to repent, change their path, change their plans, and enter into life with him. The accusers saw the woman caught in adultery as an opportunity to use the law to condemn the woman 
and hopefully trap Jesus in the process. But Jesus used it as an opportunity to demonstrate that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Praise the Lord. Friends, this is so important as we're wrapping up here. Um, if we're going to walk along the narrow path with Jesus, we need to have a vision of who he is and what he's like. We need to be able to recognize Jesus' voice and his ways so that we can follow him along the path. Jesus looks at us just like he looked at the woman caught in adultery, and he doesn't say, as those false teachers might have imagined, uh, oh, I'm holy, I can't look at you. No, he looks right at us, and he calls us to join him on his holy path. He sees us more clearly than we can see ourselves, and his response to what he sees is not to reject us, but to call us to turn away from sin and repentance and follow him. Uh, so let's pray. Lord Jesus, we recognize you in you, wisdom, righteousness, and faithfulness far beyond what we could ever imagine ourselves having or being able to live in. But thank you so much, Lord, that the reason we have confidence is not because of ourselves, but because of your righteousness, faithfulness, and ability to accomplish your purposes. Lord, we know that you are calling each one of us to a, to a living life, walking along this narrow way that you taught in a way that is in close communion with you, that is able to recognize your voice and to turn away from the false voices and the lies that come from the world and the enemy. God, I pray that each person here would take the time, as we talked about, to find some time with, by themselves, with just themselves and you, to open their mind and to ask you sincerely, what is it that I need to repent of? And, oh God, please don't leave us there, but give us the strength by your Spirit to be able to make actual changes, to change our evil plans and instead make plans for righteousness and faithfulness following the ways that you taught us in your word and that you lead us in our hearts. Thank you so much, Lord, for your mercy, for your love that never fails and is constant through all of time, both while our hearts are beating and after, and that we can trust in you completely for everything. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.